This is the AZ Brandcast, where we explore Arizona's brand and the brands that make Arizona. I'm Mike Jones. And I'm Chris Stadler. Welcome to AZ Brandcast, where we talk to awesome people about the power of brand and how to build great brands in our remarkable state of Arizona. And today I'm super excited to have a longtime friend and kind of comrade in the media business uh, in terms of just producing media here in the Valley of the Sun in Phoenix. This is Skylar Irvine from Rensselaer Media. Um, Skylar has a, a prolific content producer. I, I, we were just talking about this before the show started. He is like always producing content, podcasts, videos, uh, all sorts of awesome stuff, uh, both for himself and obviously for all of his clients at Rensselaer. Um, and I think the other thing that I've, I've note with Skylar in particular, that I've noticed over the years, Skylar is just your aptitude for kind of seeing what's going on from a marketing standpoint in terms of like technologies or trends, uh, within like how people are getting their messaging out in front of their audience. Um, and then also of note, you have a book that either, did it just come out? No, I mean, we're, no, but I mean, first of all, okay. Chris, Mike, thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. No book is not out yet. Um, Sweet. We're looking, we're hoping in the next, uh, we're getting down to the final stages of it. Uh, as you can imagine, the COVID has been fun for everything, including virtual book writing and editing. Yeah, no. And that's awesome. So tell us a little bit about your book, just so we've got kind of a, a heads up for our audience and maybe they can go check it out as soon as it's out. Well, not to deter your audience in the first five minutes of the podcast with, with a pitch, <laughs> um, but essentially, I mean, we're writing this book with the trying to give everyone the tools who's running a business themselves, entrepreneur, solopreneur, um, to kind of give them the tools to understand everything that's happening in the social media landscape and how to how to utilize it for their own business. And when the pandemic hit uh, in the middle of the book, I kind of wanted to repivot it to really give people the tools. If, if you're 50 years old and you're getting laid off or furloughed from a job that might not come back, you've got all these tools, you got the skill set in the corporate world, and you feel like the world has passed you by. This is the book that I wanted to put that kind of showed you that all of the skills that you've developed over the last decade are actually more valuable than these young kids who are great at social media, but don't have the business <laughs> acumen. Yes. And you kind of give you an, an intro of to like, don't be overwhelmed with all this social media. There's always going to be a new platform out there, but it's it, it's nothing new. It's, it's all happened before, whether it's from radio going into television or television having three channels into having 100 channels or the internet or TikTok or Snapchat, you can break them down into specific categories and play to your strengths. And it's really just about targeting your audience. And if you want to if you want to start a business or a side hustle, um, this is kind of give you all of the tools that you would need to narrow your focus and grow your reach. Um, and, and because of that, it's kind of delayed some of the book, but it's been really important to kind of get all of this stuff down and and really create that guide for, I think, a lot of people that might need it over the next couple of years as, as we see a major shift in what I imagine is coming for our economy as a whole, really. Yep. No, I mean, it was, it was already building and then COVID hit and now it's like skyrocketing. I'm just watching tons and tons of people either either by choice or not like leaving the corporate world moving into like contractor roles or starting their own you know freelancer or startup businesses so i think what you're doing skylar is like right on point for what people need um especially as they're trying to navigate social media which i think can can be a black box for a lot of people yeah and so and, and that's, that's really cool that's a really th- 
powerful thing because of the the business owners that I work with and companies I've worked with, I'm sure you can relate, but at the top, if if the owner or the CEO, however big or small the company is, if he's one of those people or she's one of those people that just like hires their niece to do their social media and the niece knows nothing about business and their social media doesn't like one summer later, no one's updating it anymore and that person just, social media doesn't work for our business or doesn't work for our industry or, or whatever it happens to be. And it's, well, if that's your attitude, it's never going to work. Um, it, it only works if you actually care and want to make it work and you see through some of the hiccups that happen with anything you're doing. Um, so even if you're not someone that's going to be doing it actively, I think the owner of the business, big or small, still has to believe in it. So that way, the people that are running it have that support. They're not being undermined. They're not being undercut. Um, and and I, I see that over and over again. So it's really trying to tackle those common mistakes early on. And even if you're not going to be the one that's uploading videos to TikTok, you still have to understand that this could be a major impact for our business long term. Let's give the people that are running these channels the tools they need and 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 kind of not not look down on their role within the company, which if strangely enough is a very common thing. Yep. No, I th I think that's spot on, man. So I don't want to jump too far ahead because there's like so much more to unpack in that. But uh, we'll get there. Uh, Chris always intros with an awesome icebreaker question. So I'm going to let Chris hand it over to Chris for that. Yes, we have an icebreaker as always. Um, today's icebreaker is what is the most weirdly niche, niche, however you pronounce it. We'll get to that uh, <laughs> business you've ever seen. The so most weirdly niche. Yeah, good. Well, I was going to say, I, this is a whole other topic because I have a book coming out called Niche Please. And the huge debate is, how do you pronounce it? Do you say niche? Do you say niche? Um, so at the very well, least, it, it, that's a good jumping off point. With, with that book title, it has to be niche. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it works either way. And, niche, and what's even greater is, is finding your business niche or what we call the biz niche um, gets really interesting. Uh, the most niche business well, I've ever seen. Dude, um, that's our a good producer's question. cracking up right now. You can't hear him. <laughs> well, get him mic'd up. I need the laugh track. <laughs> Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Perfect. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That's a really good question. I'd have to spend more time on it. Um, great icebreaker question. But we'll, I mean, we, we, we can we'll, we can buy you some time. Yeah. yeah is this, this firsthand we'll experience or anything I've ever come across? You just say anything you've seen could be. In yeah. fact, I think Mike, I think you have one, right? <laughs> so I have one that I've actually personally been involved with, um, and that is a T-shirt brand that I started with a couple of friends like four or five years ago, created a brand called Taftly. And it is American political history shirts, like about American political history prior to 1940. So we didn't do any modern history. And it's geared specifically for history teachers. Who teach at Purdue and University. I, I think to date, we have not had a, because I, I will internet stock our customers because we don't have that many. <laughs> and I'm like, who are you? Where How did you find us? And you know what's your background all that stuff but i think to date i have found that almost like it's like somewhere like plus 90 percent of our customers are either history teachers or a spouse or partner of a history teacher or a family member of a history teacher and they're going to give it to their history teacher you know family member as a gift so i think we nailed the niche part um there's a whole other question I'd love to get into later about can you go too niche or niche? <laughs> yeah. Because I think we might have with our <laughs> with our product. <laughs> but 
that's the most like bizarrely niche thing I've ever been personally involved with. I'm sure there's some weird niche businesses I've come across, but I, uh, that was the thing that jumped in my, my head. So mine was a magazine called Parking Review. Hmm. It's a UK magazine about parking, parking, <laughs> parking your car. Like, so it, to be fair, it's like a UK magazine about setting up parking in municipalities. That's but it's so, just parking. That's so niche. It's not like parking structures. No, it's not. You know, it's like actual active parking. It's just, and it's just parking review. Systems. And they have like their own awards, their own nerdy niche awards <laughs> for parking. Sounds like a, like a Reddit thread just turned into a, a book <laughs> yeah. or a magazine. Yeah, yeah. And I, I bet they have their celebrities and like, you know, oh my goodness. stuck up That's people so who awesome. are like huge in parking, you know, <laughs> who knows? It's like the long tail effect in complete, like full color. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it is. There's a yeah. market for everything. Um, so that's mine. A good one that jumps out that's that's on the bigger scale. Um, when when Elon Musk launched the Boring Company, um, there was no competition. <laughs> there there's like four machines globally, and the reason that a lot of tunnels weren't getting built is there just weren't a lot of a supply of these machines. Uh, so he ended up building his own, started the Boring Company, so he could dig his own tunnels and then lease it out to other people. So from day one, there's a huge demand and not a lot of competition for just boring these giant holes in like underneath Vegas or underneath Los Angeles. Um, and, and that one stands out as far as like on a huge scale. Um, have you, I'm assuming you guys have come across or read um, Small Giants. I feel yep. like that entire book is kind of based on niche companies that found a market and decided not to expand where what I mean, a lot of these, a lot of huge companies start out with their own niche and then eventually pivot and expand and take off where, I mean, Netflix, was built upon being no late fees on DVD rentals, which is the biggest moneymaker that Blockbuster had at the time. And the reason they didn't survive is because they solved the one problem that Blockbuster was was causing and Blockbuster couldn't couldn't kind of uh, accommodate or adjust to it in time. And now Netflix is is nothing to do with DVD rentals. It's, it's, it's something that they maintain as more of a nostalgia product than anything. It's a fraction of what they make and they've pivoted and turned into a, a, a global cable channel, um, but it began as a niche. And I think most big companies today, whether it's Lululemon or Under Armour, which started with like compression shirts underneath football pads and now has all the four major sports and endorsed athletes competing with Nike, they didn't do that from day one. They started as a product. Um, so I, I think if you trace back a lot of the big companies, they all started as a niche and decided to keep going or try to keep going. And others like Small Giants, I think has a great example of people that just said, no, we don't want to get bigger. Let's stay this size and, and just do more with it. Yep. Yeah, I think that's a, those are great examples. So here's the, the question of the day, though. Yeah, the real question. The real the question. Heart of, the heart of the issue. The, yeah, the most substantial part of this <laughs> podcast probably will be, how do you pronounce N-I-C-H-E? I think the official way from the root word is niche. And America, doing what we do in America, we make things our own. We drive on the <laughs> side of the road that we want to. We have Fahrenheit. We have miles. We don't do metric. And we say niche. Yeah, I, I can buy that. I mean, it's French, so you're supposed to pronounce it niche, but we're not French, so. Yeah, does it sound like like uh, And we like love to bastardize or... other countries, other, other languages, so it fits. 
Yeah, it, I don't know. Like, yeah, I think niche kind of sounds a little snooty. I just think but, we have to decide know. and then just go, you know? Like, how do you pronounce it? For me, it's niche. It's I've niche. always said niche, yeah. N-I-T-C-H. And, and now confirmed by Skylar's book title, Niche Please. Yeah. That's just put me over the edge. Put me over the... <laughs> I'm I for this podcast I will I will defer I will say niche. So, but I do prefer niche. Uh, so we we had a couple of questions, um, and I think one of a, one of I like this one. I, I talking about video. So, Skyler, you do a lot of video. How, and this this goes right to Arizona, right? So, right now we're in kind of a crazy time, right? Um. Mm-hmm. Things are changing. Mike, you said there's kind of a little revolution going on and um, a lot of things are changing. We probably don't know what all what all is changing, but there's now a huge opportunity perhaps to use branded imagery, branded videos in social. And so you might have given that a little bit of thought, you know, maybe in the shower, <laughs> maybe in the middle of the night, you wake up like, oh, hey, social video. Um <laughs> How does Arizona enrich the visual representation of itself? Arizona companies, Arizona itself, perhaps hmm. using branded imagery hmm. and video. Good question. Uh, I mean, that's a good question. You can go in a lot of different directions. It, to me, like I've always appreciated video because of how much you can get across to the consumer quickly. As someone who's always loved to write, and I was writing for a long time and doing blog posts and was doing a lot of social media content when I didn't really know what I was, I was in the marketing industry, but I was in real estate and my best writing that would get tons of views didn't really do much for me. Whereas well, the first time I started doing video, it was people would, would recognize me or say, I saw your video or say, I saw your video months later and they remembered it. And I realized that a minute of video could just say so much more about me than, than, than years of writing could, where you could read my writing, but not know much about me. And if you're in a business that involves relationships and selling and, um, and, and getting people to know you, the fastest way you can do that is through video. As someone who creates a lot of social media content, I mean, everything I've looked at is either supplier demand or efficiency. We're busy. We don't have all the money in the world. We don't have all the time in the world. We have a scarce amount of resources. How can you get a maximum return on what you have? Well, if I film something, I can turn that into a video, a long video, a podcast, an audio, a clip, a, a screenshot photo. I can transcribe it into audio. So, so efficiently resource wise video allows you to do a lot of those things, but video is not easy. It's hard, but it's getting easier and cheaper to do. So, so video makes a ton of sense. If, if we're trying to brand imagery or brand Arizona or an Arizona business, having some of the, the consistent visuals and aspects in our strategy with video is, is definitely going to have more of a more of a faster result than it would trying to do it non-visually um trying to do it like with an audio tag or or a, a, a like a call sign at the end of your emails or the end of your posts it's tougher to do than than with a visual because visual you if, if you put out a youtube video some people listen to podcasts on youtube just on a on a on a chrome tab um some people will just read the transcript later or just want to get a summary or some people will watch the whole thing other types of content you kind of have to pick and choose. Like if you're not paying attention to a podcast you're listening to, you're not getting anything out of it rather than even if you see it pop up on your screen. So if you're posting 
Basically, like if you're doing this podcast, for example, and you're doing it every single week and you're doing it as a live stream on Facebook, people might not even watch the live stream on Facebook, but six months later, they've seen it pop up enough on their own Facebook feed. They've seen your faces. They've seen what you're talking about. And even without actively consuming it, they think, okay, AZ Brandcast are always doing podcasts. They're always talking about branding. Even though I'm not even paying attention to it, they've created some brand recognition in my mind. And that's most companies are spending a ton of money doing that very inefficiently. And right now there's a moment in time where you can do it at a low cost with, with video and social media. So, so talk a little more about, <clears throat> talk a little more about the information. So you mentioned information is pretty dense in a one minute video. Um, I'm a, I'm a customer of a company, right? Um, what is video? How does video change? and inform how I interact with a company? Does it make it easier? Does it make me more comfortable? Does it make me, what does it, what does it do for me that, that, that shortens that there, that, that reduces that barrier for me to actually contact the company or do business with that company? It, so it depends if it's like, if it, are you a customer of someone that you're actively seeking or are you someone who, once you discover it, you're like, oh, that's interesting. Is it a problem that you need to solve? Where like today I bought something on Instagram off an Instagram ad that says, are, are bicycles taking up too much space in your garage? And then it showed someone click a bicycle really easily into their wall. And it was a piece that you just installed in the wall. And they showed all of this to me in 15 seconds. And I just, I was like, we need this. I'm buying it because it showed me my problem and solution in 15 seconds. It didn't even take the whole minute. That is a really great way to sell a specific product. It didn't, it didn't have to like play into my emotions. It didn't tell a story. It was, here's a problem that you might have. If you do, here's a solution for it. And if it doesn't cost, more than what I want to pay, that makes a lot of sense to me. And that really worked. If I'm a client of a company and I follow them on Instagram and everyone is on lockdown, we don't know what's going on, but all of a sudden I come across their video and it's a, it's a selfie video of the owner of the company saying, hey, we're opening back up. Here are our social distancing protocols. And they're walking through their office saying, okay, we've moved this stuff over here. You might recognize this. This area is closed off. But if you come in, we're taking it seriously. And here's the mask if you don't bring your own. And we're washing our hands and and if you have any questions let us know and that's really easy to do anyone could do that and that's honestly a video that everyone should be doing right now because it's easy and it's impactful and that's something that if you're a client of their customer or you're thinking about whether or not they're open or i'm not sure or your friend talks to you later and like man i've been waiting to do this again i don't know if they're open you think oh no they are open i saw their video you don't know what the immediate return on that, if it's a long-term return or short-term return or trying to trying to get a brand message across, but some things don't need to be completely overproduced or overthought where um, social media gives you a lot of opportunities to just put out videos that, that can make an impact without it being part of an overall huge brand strategy with consistent imagery and production. You know, Sam and I were just talking about that. We were just talking about how <clears throat> there are different reasons you wanna use like video and um so it's interesting the connection the one of the things was for because we do a lot of b2b right and so in b2b there's a lot more um it's a little more technical sometimes mm -hmm. so there's a little more science a little more technology in it there's also um sometimes people don't know how to buy right they don't know how to buy from you they don't know exactly how that process works because b2b yeah, it's a more complicated process sales process yes yeah, totally customer journey totally yeah, and, i mean just like you know, I think it goes back to like kind of these core fundamentals of marketing. Like 
how close can you get the customer to your product before they actually buy, right? And then how close can you get them to a relationship with a human being or what feels like a human being before they buy, right? Like, you know, we want trust, right? When we're looking to purchase something, we want to trust it's going to do, it's going to solve my problem. Just like you said, Skylar, like that ad on Instagram ad that you were talking about was like perfect case study and like your story can be as simple as you as a customer have a problem. We have a solution for you. Let's show you how we do it. And right? here's exactly what it looks like in yeah. like 10 seconds or whatever. Yeah, and video yeah. just, like we talked about, I mean, Scott, you've been saying it the whole time. It's like, it's so fast, right? Yeah. You can visually show it. You can tell it. You can put a little bit of like some personality behind it in a really interesting way, both through your visuals and through music or whatever you decide to put in there, especially on the ad side. Um, but even like you talked about like that example of like somebody who's like an owner who's going to reopen yep. their, you know, their office or their shop or whatever they're doing, whatever their business is, it's like reopen. It's like, well, I get to, I get to see and interact with that CEO or that owner or that, you know, founder or partner or whatever their title is. Right. But they're mm-hmm. the head honcho and uh, we get to kind of build a relationship. And what's really cool is that super efficient on the brand side, right? Imagine that CEO trying to develop one-on-one relationships with every customer and sending personal emails to everybody saying, hey, we're right. going to reopen. Here's my reopening process letter. Well, right. that's 18 and the, paragraphs. And how many emails have you gotten that says that? Like, yeah, I, I get right. all these emails. Like, yeah. like something I bought like nine years ago is sending us in these tough times. <laughs> here's our COVID-19 strategy. I was like, who is this company? And we're we're here for yeah. you. Yeah. yeah you haven't one. been <laughs> here for me for like three years, but now you are. No, yeah. And now you're not really doing anything special. You just want to sell me. Sell yeah. me well, you said, yeah, I mean, great. in my mind. Examples. Yeah, totally. In my mind, you talked about three things. So you talked about like, the ease of use of the product, which we talked about like boom clicks into your wall um second thing is how do i interact with you so we're talking about how do i buy the product right Mm -hmm. and so the restaurant owner talking about here's what it looks like here's what we're doing all of a sudden i feel like oh, okay so i'm not going to get there and be surprised every time i turn around until i sit down at the table and take my time and finally figure out how to like be here right but then you mentioned something that's interesting and that's i think something that a lot of times we overlook which is like, do I even like this company or not? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I see their website. There's some cool stuff maybe they have going. Maybe they have, you know, they're writing some stuff. They sound like they might be all right. They have a product I want. But who do I like? And who am I most likely to reach out to, you know, as a customer? Like I said, we do B2B. So a lot of times, I mean, we have one customer who they make videos and they have one salesperson who introduces everything, right? Mm-hmm. She talks about it and you're like, oh, okay. Like, I want to call her because yep. she seems cool. And like, I'm not going to call and someone's going to be difficult. Yep. There, there are enough people out there. I yeah, just want to call someone I hopefully like. Hopefully that's true, right? When you see the video and you're kind of interacting with, you're seeing someone representing the brand, is that experience going to carry through? Um, well, getting a little off topic, but that, no, no, that, that, hap- yeah. that happened big time. So when I was in real estate and like real estate's really competitive, I mean, everyone's kind of doing the same thing, just a little bit differently. And I got into this point where we had a really good Yelp presence and we would get these Yelp calls to go pitch ourselves for a listing appointment. And over enough time, we realized, okay, we're, we're pretty much competing with the same two other people because we all have a pretty decent, similar Yelp. So when someone on Yelp is co- calling us, they're calling all three of us and 
basically we're getting a third of the closings and we could spend a ton of time trying to get more of those closings and go from 33% to 40%, which is a lot of extra work, or we could just try and reach more people. And, and what I found was because you're just one of three, like you're not really standing out, you're, you're limited to what you are on Yelp. And when we started doing more video and putting out video content that is just kind of us doing things, we got less listing appointment calls, but everyone that called us was calling us just to hire us, not mm. to pitch them. And that changed. If you don't have to waste your time pitching, that is a game changer for any business. And it was because whether, like, when you sit down in front of someone, they know yep. whether or not they want to work with yep. you for whatever reason. So it's more of a personality thing than a technical thing. With video, you filter that through. So you might lose some potential people that would have just not hired you well, later. Kickers. Yeah, but it's a, just it's a huge tires. time saver. Absolutely. And then when everyone's calling you just to hire you because they already understand who you are and what you stand for and what it would be like to work for you, that changes your sales process. Yep. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're essentially shortcutting the sales process, right? So instead of like, all right, we're going to have some kind of digital exchange or a phone call or an email exchange, and then I'm going to come and pitch to you, or you're going to come into some seminar and I'm going to pitch you in real life. And that's a huge amount of time for very little volume. Um, and then you're going to make some decision, yes or no, right? And instead, if it's like, well, we can deliver a lot of that same experience in a single video, right? Produce it once, put it out there. Make sure it's in the right flow. It's got the right messaging. But now it's like, yeah, like you just said, now when they're picking up the phone, it's not about I'm here to kick the tire, right? I'm here to actually get in the car and drive off the lot. Um, and that that I think is huge. Like, And that's just, I think, a, a, a fundamental of digital, right? That I think a lot of companies are just starting to figure out. It's like you can shortcut so much of this like traditional sales process that you've had we see that all the time with like manufacturing companies mm. who are very traditional in their sales process. It's all one-to-one -one relationship building, but their sales teams. And it's like, there's so much opportunity with like digital marketing and digital communications to just get a lot further down that road without having to tie up a salesperson. Yeah. Yeah. As much one-to-many as you can to get them in, right? Yep. Cause that's cheapest. And then you have your man hours focused on the, the, yeah, you know, so. um, one other thing that I thought was really interesting, you were talking about the efficiency of video. So it sounded like what you said was that you make a video and then you're able to, um, you're able to, uh, use that same content in a bunch of different ways. Can you, is that what you said? Can yeah. you talk about that just a little bit? I always think of it like, let's say you've got like a hundred units of energy to make a podcast. Well, it would cost like five more points to film that, you know, like you're already sitting down for an hour and talking to record the audio. Well, turning on a camera isn't that much more work. It's more, but it's not twice as much more. It's just a little bit more, but that little bit more could could have twice as much benefit. So if you're looking at it, okay, this is our pillar of content. This podcast, we get a lot of good content out of this. It, it gets us an hour of time. Well, that hour of time could be chopped up into a month's worth of content because what I found when I was starting my podcast, I didn't need to reach everyone. I needed to reach downtown Phoenix business owners. So it was more important for me to reach them where they were instead of trying to teach them how to download a podcast. Or if I wanted my mom to listen to my podcast, it was easier for me to put it on YouTube and send her a link than to say, okay, 
download this app on your phone and then subscribe to it here. And then do, because like we all deal with that, like it makes sense. Like I want high podcast numbers, but really it's about reaching the people where they are. So taking your podcast, which is great, and then putting authentic native content on additional platforms to reach people where they're spending their time. So you can't really upload an hour long podcast link to to Instagram, but you could take a screenshot with a highlight quote and then maybe a summary of something and post that as a photo on Instagram mm -hmm. that might take a little bit more work but it could yield like a whole new audience that didn't know your podcast existed before. Now we've gotten to the point where there's a lot of, lot of cross sharing on platforms, but two years ago, three years ago, that wasn't that big of a, big of a thing. Um, that's kind of my viewpoint with everything. If you're gonna put in all of this work to do it, adding just a little bit more has a lot of value. Um, but I'm a big believer in, in, in not being overwhelmed from day one, where if it's your first podcast, don't try to do it all at once. Focus on making a really good podcast because that's the core of everything. If it's not a good podcast, it doesn't matter how many people you're reaching. But if your podcast is great and you've kind of figured that out, because as you know, you get used to it, you get better, it improves, you find your flow, and then now your audio production is a little bit better and you keep adding things as you go and now you can experiment with stuff where, all right, should we be on TikTok? I don't know. Well, let's just make a TikTok story out of our best podcast ever. You know, like it gets easier the more you've done because you can say, okay, let's just take our, te our 10 best episodes and repurpose that into blog posts. And, and now we're finding people that are like searching Google are finding our blog and now can listen to our podcast where it didn't exist before. And it's really just kind of the more you do, the easier it gets because the market tells you what's working. If, if everyone's responding to one type of content, repurposing that content to reach more people and additional platforms is, is really, really huge. And it doesn't take that much more work compared to the companies that have $50,000 to spend on one video that they're going to promote on their website for the next two years. It's way better to make a thousand dollar videos and make 50 of them and post them every single week. Like that's a no brainer to, to me, but it's a really difficult conversation to have with a lot of people who are just aren't used to that type of, of, of quantity of content. Well, and I'm wondering too, if it's not like, <clears throat> as you were talking, Skylar, I was like, hmm, I wonder if this is like a client hack where, I mean, how hard is it to get a client to give you content, right? <laughs> um, salespeople or people who are used to being in front of people, they want to talk. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, so we've kind of tried this before, um, trying to get people, if we can get people on video, ask them some questions, you know, get them talking about interesting stuff. I mean, usually they're very interesting people who really know their market and who I think a lot of people would probably listen to. Now, all of a sudden, if you, if you created like a podcast, you had some good questions, you, uh, even now, right, Skylar, I mean, we could write, we might be able to write three or four blog posts if that was our model off of this conversation. We would just take each of these questions that we've written down in the discussion guide and then we would just, right? Well, I mean, I look at content. that three or four blog posts and 50 tweets and a LinkedIn yep. post and I mean, a lot of stuff. And, and you nailed it on the head, especially when we work with a lot of business owners or something changes when you turn on the camera and yep. and it, it, it people are trying to create a video in their mind of how they think a video should work so it's hard to get authentic stuff from them when authenticity is so crucial with these types of content mm -hmm. but a podcast yes. format is great because it's q a and you get someone to talk about yep. their business and anyone 
whether they're an introvert or, or an extrovert, if they love their business and they're passionate about it, you can just capture that on camera or on audio and then turn that into authentic sounding content, authentic looking content. And that's extremely valuable. And um, if, if you're a business owner, I mean, every industry should have a podcast. I mean, you look at all these yep, industries yep. that hold these huge conferences that someone started 15 years ago and now it's its own business. Or then there's a newsletter or there's a, a quarterly magazine. Like there should be a podcast for all of these. There should be a YouTube channel for all of these. Or if you're running a big company and you're sending out emails um, or memos that update the company as staff on what everything's doing, that could also be a five minute podcast where they're listening to it on their way to work and, and, and instead of having it be another email that they have. So um, kind of changing the viewpoint of like how all of these things could work for your business, big or small, I think is another thing that we're starting to embrace more of. Um, and, and the last thing I would add with the video content specifically, it's like right now is the best equalizer for big business or small business because everyone's on a Zoom call right now. And now it doesn't like it doesn't matter how nice your camera is or how much your editing stuff is like you can do really valuable stuff at a low cost at a very like low um low barrier of entry and and if if you're not capitalizing on it right now like it's a real bummer because a lot of people are making some big headway just by turning their their computer camera on you know like it's it's pretty powerful yeah, and, and I think the expectations are low right now, right? Like, <laughs> I don't, you know, a lot of people are like, they're comfortable and they're accepting of a Zoom quality video. Right? I just assume you don't have pants on. <laughs> like, right? It's Zoom. It's a good thing I wore them today, but <laughs> uh, yeah, but like, yeah, I mean, the expectations are low, so I think you can get away with a lot. I, I totally agree, Skylar. Yeah, and it's, I mean, say, especially man. now, because like, it, it takes reps. Uh, you go yep. back and I mean, go to Joe Rogan's first podcast ever. It doesn't sound anything like it does today. Um, nope. it, it takes reps. It takes getting used to. So so doing it now is is a great chance to get your reps in because you're going to be so much better at whatever it is you're doing 100, 100 episodes later. And and, and now it's just an, a, it's an opportunistic time to do it that I think most people will regret after the fact of not kind of taking advantage of it because the quality of everything is going to catch up really, really quickly. I mean, the next yep. round of iPad or the next round of laptops is just minimum 1080p cameras and now yep. zoom backgrounds with green screens and now everyone's buying new lights and, and this moment of low quality production is a flash in the pan and it's going to go back to where people are starting to get distracted about the things that don't matter as much where I mean, storytelling, we talked about it earlier is everything or good content rather. I mean, the video I talked about on Instagram that that sold me on it was like shot on an iPhone and it was in someone's garage with terrible lighting <laughs> because that didn't matter to me. It was just showing me yep. the product that solved a problem that we have. Was, we have three kids. We have a bunch of bicycles everywhere and it just takes up a ton of space. Oh, cool. Like this solved it. I don't need storytelling. I don't need a history of the company or, or what their global <laughs> mission is. It was showing me the product that was solving a problem for me. Other companies like that might not work for them. Yep. Yeah. Their, their story might be a little more complicated, but yeah. So how does how does this kind of thing? So we talked about how this works for brands for companies. Um, can video work for a whole state? Like I don't know, Arizona, the the video state. Yeah, like what can what can how can Arizona, if possible, leverage leverage. Video well, photography, like well, I don't want to steal the show. I don't know, Scott. If you got thoughts, I have a show couple thoughts. Brand. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I, I mean I, no, go ahead. Does yeah, Arizona go have a brand? I mean, does Arizona agree on anything? I mean, it, <laughs> it's hard to get one united thing for something that's that large right now, in my opinion. So that's what I mean. But whatever it happened to be like, yeah, there's a lot of ways to capitalize on that, especially with I mean, Arizona's got some wonderful accounts on every channel that I've found of great photography, great videos of just showcasing all of the unique features that Arizona has to offer that most people don't realize that we've got more climate zones than any other state in the world. And um, you can go skiing and you can go on a lake and you can go in the desert and all of like all in one day. It's pretty incredible Um, as far as like a brand mission it's like man i i just feel like there's so much division right now that finding any uniting factor about anything seems to stir up 40 percent of the population to just disagree with that flat out so um it's definitely a bold vision that i i'd, I'd like to i'd like to see happen for sure <laughs> yeah that was i mean that's kind of been our our that was some of the genesis of the our podcast was like trying to uncover is there a brand identity for Arizona not from a government standpoint but more from a you know this community of communities right that's kind of what Arizona is it's all these different regions and towns and cities and different groups of people within each of those locations and yet we there's a there's i think some underlying like you know is it 100% unifying no probably not but I think there's some underlying threads, and we've found those over the last three years as we've talked with a lot of business leaders um, and having conversations like this around their experience with Arizona. And I know we keep coming back to a couple of them. Obviously, there's like some really kind of basic attributes that everyone comes back to. It's like, you know, the wide open sky kind of feel, you know, Arizona's a super sunshiny state. Um, you know, so from a ge- you know, geography and weather standpoint, you get some obvious stuff. And then there's some industries that are a little bit more hot here than others. Um, but the other thing that we keep coming back to is just like there's an underlying and, and again, it's not 100 percent, but, you know, the majority or a lot of people in Arizona really value freedom. Uh, they really value like being able to do what they want. Right. Like if I'm going to get up on a Saturday morning, I want to go out and go take a bike ride and I can do that. Right. The state facilitates a lot of like things just because of our geography um, as well as our history, right? You know, we're a pretty young state. We're not a super old state. And I think from like a video standpoint, like some of that actually can come through really simply and just like, you know, get outside, right? Like if you're a brand here in Arizona, uh, leverage the amazing sunshine that you have. I mean, you got perfect lighting pretty much all year round. <laughs> so for your outdoor shots, um, and, you know, that's a huge benefit for a lot of companies is like just the lifestyle that people can have here, right? If you're, if you're at all outdoor, uh, you know, centered at all, like this is a fantastic state to be in. And yeah, it's okay. For parts of the state, it's really hot for a few months, but it's like, you know, it's like, well, if it's hot down here, I just go up to Flagstaff, it's, you know, two hour drive and I can be up on the mountain and I can be. I could be mountain biking, I could be hiking, I could be um, just, you know, out walking around in the downtown. Like, there's just, it's so easy. So I think there's some, I don't know if I'm, I'm trying to answer your question, Chris, in yeah, a roundabout kind of way. The don't, but, the don't tell me what to do kind of attitude. Um, it feels a little more like, you know, Wild West, like, look, I do my own thing, kind of leave me alone. And it, even the cactuses, like, if you look at cactuses, they just look <laughs> like they're flipping you off, you know? They're just like... Yeah, 
Like, I don't care. It's hot. And you know, what? I don't care. I'm here anyway. Like, you know, I do what I do. Right. <laughs> it always reminds me of the story of this, uh, this guy, a coworker of mine who is, he is a Harley. He rode a Harley every day. He's really like, but not like your prototypical Harley rider. He's a, he's a, a jazz drummer on the side. So he would like weekends, he'd go to the, he played with some jazz band and, uh, He's always wearing his jeans and the white shirt, you know, kind of like 1950s style, like did he have, did he have cigarettes rolled up in this, in his Never sleeve. had the cigarettes <laughs> rolled up, but he would have the sleeves rolled up every <laughs> once in a while. And I remember a friend of mine was like really interested in riding, riding a motorcycle. And he's like, Perry, the guy's name was Perry. He's like, Perry, it's you like ride a bike every single day to the office. That, that's awesome, dude. I'm, I'm really considering getting a bike. But how do you deal with the summer heat? Like, how do you ride a bike, a motorcycle into work every single morning when it's like 105, 110, 115 out? And Perry just looks at him and he goes, dude, but you're riding a motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) It's just like, like that was a quintessential like, yeah, it's hot, but I'm doing what I do, man. (laughs) Maybe Perry should be the, you know, pictures of Perry. Maybe the answer to this question. Videos of Perry. Yeah, maybe. So shoot Perry riding down the freeway. I don't know, but yeah, I mean we're we're a little more a little more wild west. I mean mm-hmm. we're certainly closer to our wild west roots than a lot of states in terms of just like history and stuff. I mean mm-hmm. we're we're barely a hundred years old as a state. It's crazy. Well, I mean there's some businesses that would appreciate that, right? Yeah. I mean businesses that do appreciate that. Tough to needle moved here for some reason, right? I mean yeah. I mean they're old news now, but I mean right yeah the. Uh, California seems to be shedding businesses, or at least that's what I hear. Uh, there's probably a reason, you know? Yeah. And so I wonder if that's a, uh, how would you capture that? How would you, you know, how would you capture the, so, so one of the things Skylar, we've been running into Photoshop a lot of these conversations with middle fingers. That's it's like, yeah. Um, <laughs> is, is just like, oh, it's cheaper. Yay. It's cheaper. It's like, yeah, but can't it also be a little better in some ways too? I mean, does it have to just be cheaper? Well, I think it's both. Um, yeah, I mean, you can, you can live the lifestyle that most people only live on vacation here. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing, yeah. like it, it, it does get really hot, but some states get snowed in and they can't leave their house. And here, it's just like uncomfortable until you get yeah. into somewhere where it's freezing cold with air conditioning. Still um, don't have to shovel sunshine here. Yeah, yeah. and it's true. And and like I, I've been in the Chicago in the summer where they'll be like, "Hey, we're gonna barbecue this weekend if it doesn't rain." And it's like foreign to me to be like, "What do you mean? Like you could just make plans <laughs> where we're from and never worry about the weather getting in the way." And other states, everything is dependent on the weather. And it's just like, yeah. "Oh man, what is that like?" It, it seems it seems like primitive almost. Like you haven't controlled your weather. We only have one type of weather where we're from. Like, <laughs> get on the train. Yeah, like I'll vacation Control to like Seattle weather. just so I can wear a coat that I bought two years ago. You know, like yeah, I've been really wanting to wear this. Let's go somewhere. <laughs> Where should we go, honey? Yeah. <laughs> well, awesome. let me look at my wardrobe and see what yeah. I haven't worn in a while. Yeah, this does a tag Let's go on find it. somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some snowshoes I yeah. haven't used. Uh, yeah, we know it's going to be 110 in the summer. So it's mm-hmm. not, I mean, the weather it sort of dictates what we do, but it's not hard because, like, we know all summer it's just like we're probably not going to be going out, you know, playing too much sports or whatever outside in the heat, you know, that noon. Yeah, unless you're my children, they don't care. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. Just, right. They they don't care. 
Yeah, which is something I never really thought about before I had kids. Until they look started. up at you and their like cheeks are red and they're just like, <laughs> like oh my god, their like, face is yeah. a tomato. It's and they're not, tomato. and they're not sweating anymore because they're dehydrated. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's never happened. Then they That's pass out in the middle of dinner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh. <laughs> That's horrible, Mike. I don't know. I, I keep going back to the open skies thing. Mm. I don't know. I think that's something really cool and unique about Arizona, and it kind of tells both that geographical story, but it also tells kind of that more philosophical story of, like, the sky's the limit here, right? Like, you want to mm. do something? If you want to build something, uh, if you want to create something new, um, there's not really a lot that's going to get in your way. Um, yeah. And that's really cool. I think that's a really cool attribute and one that I hope – People keep leaning into here, but um, in, yeah. in a past guest we had uh, talked about how um, he was from New York, mm -hmm. and he talked it was from here. Went started a business in New York, came back, started a business here, and you saw him just about how um, don't think of it like cheap. Think of it like this is a place where you come, and everybody else is in. All right, so you're in New York competing against the best, biggest, best companies, but if you come here. You're you're in an incubator. Mm -hmm. You're able to compete with yeah. I mean, there's some good. We like a lot of the companies here. There's some great companies here, but they're not they're not the biggest, most polished New York companies that you have to now compete with on a shoestring budget as a startup. I think that's a big part of it. the The barriers of entry are a lot lower. Mm -hmm. Where I, I started, I moved out here and started buying houses and and their foreclosure crisis as in the real estate fixing and flipping and. And, and something that wouldn't even have been possible for me in California where I was moving away from. Just, there's just too many restrictions for some, like a, a young person couldn't do those things unless you came from wealth or you had access to a certain level of wealth where here it was easier to take certain risks and, and do things that wouldn't have been possible in somewhere like New York or, or Los Angeles. And I think the same is true for a lot of different businesses of just to be in business in New York, you're looking at X amount of dollars of capital to, to do anything, licensing and rent and all that. Yep. So if you're able to go someplace that has most of the same features, like you could live in downtown Phoenix, have access to a lot of different things and be close to Phoenix airport and an international airport and go anywhere in the world, but doing it where you don't have to waste money on things that aren't as valuable uh it, it creates all right now it's just like the best of the best are going to win rather than all right who's the best of the best of the people that have access to certain things whether and that a lot of that depends on who, what your last name is or or who you know and and i think that's what makes arizona and phoenix really interesting is a lot of people especially my generation and your generation, like when I grew up, everyone's parents were from somewhere else. Everyone was from Chicago, from New York. So there weren't a lot of local sports fans. And then me, it's everyone I meet my age are Suns fans, Cardinals fans, Coyotes fans. And it's the new first generation that kind of grew up in Arizona, has kind of a chip on their shoulder, aren't, aren't here so they can eventually move away is kind of like, I want to build my thing here um, and kind of make a name for myself. And I think that's cool kind of playing into that um, um, that westward expansion, moving out west, do it on your own, build it there, uh, do it my way type of thing. And and I think that's really cool. And you can still see the Knicks and the Nets twice a year, right? <laughs> You're downtown twice Phoenix. It's just right there, you know? I not mean, this year. Not, oh yeah, this, not year, this year, my friend. Yeah. No, not you have to be in Orlando year. for that. But. Oh, yeah, that's a whole nother podcast right there. <laughs> the NBA in COVID. 
Uh, Should we talk about the book a little bit? Yeah, let's talk about the book. Yeah, niche, so tell niche, us, please. And you, you kind of gave us like the the quick and dirty version at the beginning, Skylar. But I'd love to kind of kind of dig a little bit more into that and kind of where you're heading with the book. Yeah, niche, please. How to narrow your focus and grow your reach. And we touch on how your business can find a niche, how your marketing can find a niche, and how your content can find a niche. And when you get to that point, you become not overwhelmed with every new technology advancement. You look at it as opportunity. Um, a couple of things I try to drill down on is there are people that I, I talk with who kind of just throw social media into a category of like social media doesn't work for us or there's too much social media or we don't have the time to do all that. And it's like, well, what are you what are you calling all that? Is it YouTube, social media is Twitter, is Facebook. Like, what what are you saying specifically? And for some people, it's just overwhelming to really understand. But if you break it down and like, all right, the first TV commercials were filming someone in a radio booth talking because they didn't know how to use mm. TV. But once you figure out how to use TV, well, now commercials have their own um, style and feel and content. And then when the internet comes around, it's like, well, let's just take our commercials and put it on the internet. But that doesn't work, and it's the same <laughs> model. So the same thing happens when, when TikTok launches. It's, all right, well, let's just take our best Instagram posts and put them on TikTok. It's like, no, it doesn't work that way. And while that can be frustrating, it's also amazing because it used to be if you couldn't afford to be promoting on the three channels that existed on television, you didn't have a chance to compete ever. You had to go work for those companies. It's the only thing you could do. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. Dollar Shave Club can have a video go viral and now compete with Gillette. Or Netflix can build an entire business model based on being the anti-blockbuster and succeed because of the internet. Or even something like Amazon, which today is the everything store, originally started out as being the bookstore that had every single book. Because if you went to a bookstore and they didn't have your book, you had to order it anyway and wait for it. Amazon was, well, we have every book ever. You just have to look for it. Um, and now it's the everything store that's doing a ton of different stuff. But all of those things happen because technology kind of made that possible. So if you're a realtor in, in a city like Phoenix and you can't compete because the guy ahead of you has bus benches and billboards and TV commercials and you think like, I have to outspend them. Like, no, you don't. You could go be a big fish in a small pond and have the best YouTube channel. And it do, it seems small potatoes, but there's YouTube channels now that are making, I mean, the people that are making money in real estate using social media are in like the tens of millions a year. Like this is athlete money we're talking about. I don't think a lot of people understand that to where now the person that's so used to spending money on content, spending it on, on newspaper ads and billboards and buses, the second the market turns, they've got to cut their costs. And now if you're not spending money on this marketing, a month from now, it's all taken down. It's like you don't exist anymore. The guy that's been doing a video a week on his YouTube channel, he could take a year off and every one of those videos is still, still generating new business for him, still generating leads. And the exponential value of that is not only insane because it's it's working full time, but it's working while he's sleeping and he's not. he doesn't have to spend money on it tomorrow for it to work. And a lot of other stuff you do. And eventually that changes. Eventually maybe, maybe habits change or YouTube gets bought by, by TikTok and it's a Chinese company and then we ban it. Well, <laughs> if you're good at making videos and you know the success, it sucks that you might have to start over somewhere else. But a lot of the skills that you developed by making videos, learning about the hashtags, learning about user behavior and what people want in content and how quickly you should get into the value of it and cut your intro short. Well, that skill set, like, 
transfers to other platforms. So if you break it down of like, okay, I'm great at writing. How can I utilize writing on these channels? Well, you could be like, a, you could show the process of writing on TikTok and have a huge following in a very small niche that could change your entire business model. Um, and if there's a new platform that comes out and puts you to rest, it's like, you get rid of the fear of having to start all over because if you have a million followers on Instagram and you built that and it goes away, you wouldn't really be starting over from scratch going to another platform. You have a skill set that is so unique and so valuable that you're start. It's like if you stayed up all night writing an essay and your computer crashed, you have to write that essay over again. Yeah, you have to start over, but it's really easy to write that essay the second time. Sometimes it's even better because you you can cut through some of the stuff you knew that wasn't working and and you can do that in time. And I think that if you can look at social media and technology and digital media and your content that way, it it really gets more into thinking. Okay, what would be my niche? What would be my superpower that I could learn to develop and exploit? And something like video is great because you can turn into a lot of things, but video is not for everyone. So you were even seeing like most podcasts now are content machines. And I've, I have more people that have told me, I love your podcast and they've never listened to it. They've just seen Instagram <laughs> clips of it. And, and that's the only way they've ever consumed it. Cause they just don't listen yep. to podcasts. Meanwhile, it was all built upon a podcast. So that's kind of what I look at as anyone could really do, whether or not you're trying to build a large audience to sell a product to, or you're a high end business that needs to find 10 clients that could um, hire you for annual agreements that you can make a lot of money on. Knowing how they're spending their time is, is really important and valuable because if you're able to get their attention and keep their attention, you can do it at a lower cost than what it's cost before and you can create an entire business out of it. You can change your business altogether. You can make the business that you'd want to be. Um, some people have a side hustle that's just a hobby for them. Great. Here's how to make your hobby better and more fun and reach more people and grow your hobby. Um, or if you're like, I got laid off and my wife, um, her, we've lost her benefits and we're furloughed. We don't know what it's going to take. Well, you probably have a skill set that maybe you can launch an online course or you can do consulting. And if you're, if you're able to utilize Zoom, you have an international audience that you can now sell to. You only need 10 people that could replace the entire salary that you lost. How do you do that? Well, instead of being overwhelmed by it, being like, okay, well, here's what I need to do. Here's how I can accomplish it. So instead of looking at all of it, like a giant pile, that's confusing. You could say, well, based on these needs, here's what I should be doing. And I think from there, that is such a huge starting point because the rest of it, you can learn along the way and, and it's constantly changing. You just have to put those systems in place uh, of developing like what matters to you, stay focused on the things that matter. Um, what happens too often is you get um, shiny object syndrome to where I'm going to do this on Instagram because I want to double my sales. And then six months later, you've doubled your sales, but your competitor has more likes on his post than you do. So you're like, well, I want more likes on my post. All right, cool. You might get that, but then you're going to lose your sales because you've changed what you're trying to do. And, and each of those have a different strategy and you have to stay focused on those things. Cause I think a lot of people lose that vision of trying to keep up with the competition rather than let's, instead of me trying to compete with them, let me just do this thing. That's really easy for me to own and, and dominate. Cause it'd be hard for other people to try to copy that. Yeah, I am. I'm like really excited about this book now. <laughs> I hope so. You got me through. You got me really excited. I know. So, me too. And at if the very end are, of the book, the best part is we tell you how to pronounce niche. Yeah. We finally we tell go. you. Yeah. You no, finally we have to you. read the book. The definitive uh, answer is at the, the end the of the book. To come out. So if people want to find out more about the book or about you, Skylar or Rensselaer Media, where should they go? What's what's some good places to send them? Um, it's. 
sign up for my newsletter is probably the best. I do a weekly digital cool. digest that is a ton of valuable information to help you capitalize on the digital world and the latest social trends. Um, the website's a great place to update on all the information that we're doing, SkylarIrvine.com. Uh, but wherever you are in social media, I am too, and I'm, I'm easy to get a hold of. Yeah, just look for Skylar Irvine. Yeah. It's awesome. And we'll make sure those links are in the show notes. Um, so if you go on our website, obviously, azbrandcast.com, people can find all that information about Skylar, about what he's doing, stuff he's working on, and definitely get signed up for his newsletter. Um, and we are just about out of time. This has been fantastic, Skylar. Um, I know because uh, Sam pointed at me, our producer, and was like, hey, we're like over an hour, man. And I was like, really? Are you... you- Really? Like, we're just getting started. started. Happen. <laughs> yeah, Where I know. We just go? got started. I know. So we may have to do a follow up at some point. I'd but, love to. Um, yeah. So um, thanks everybody for listening in on our show today. We thank you so much, Skylar, for coming on and just brain dumping all of your knowledge and experience and expertise around social media and video and content production. Chris um, and Mike, I thank you. It does yeah. feel like a brain dump. I don't get to lo- <laughs> talk to a lot of adults anymore. I'm stuck in quarantine with children and um, I, I feel like I have so much to say and I forget the social norms and how to do a lot of these things. So I appreciate you guys so much for having me on. I, I really want to thank you. Yeah, absolutely. This was a great conversation. And just for all of our listeners, um, this is again another episode of AZ Brandcast. If you want to find more of our episodes, you can Obviously, hop on almost any podcast directory, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Spotify. Uh, I think we're even on Pandora now, which I'm kind of excited about because, you know, Pandora is a thing, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, But yeah, go check them all out. You can go to our website, azbrandcast.com. Definitely get on our newsletter there. That way you don't miss a single episode. Yep. And uh, I'm excited for the coming months as we've got some new guests lined up for September, October, and on into the rest of the year. So... Uh, We're really excited for the rest of what's coming. And as always, uh, everyone, don't forget, you are remarkable. The AZ Brandcast is a project of Resound and is recorded in Tempe, Arizona with hosts Mike Jones and Chris Stadler. It's produced and edited by Sam Pegel. Music is produced and provided by Pabrid, an Arizona-based music group. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and at azbrandcast.com. If you'd like more episodes, subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you prefer to get your podcasts. To contact the show, find out more about AZ Brandcast, or to join our newsletter list to make sure you never miss another episode, check out our website at azbrandcast.com. Copyright Resound Creative Media, LLC, 2020.